Metallica, here they come, the kings of metal. This is Michael Wagner, and you're listening to Metal Up Your Podcast. Metallica's that family I never had or always wanted that I found in a band. Artist of the year goes to Metallica! We all know each other, and we continue after 40 years to learn more about each other. We're going to talk about how we write songs. How to get the best out of everyone without dominating. We're going to break down some of the most classic Metallica songs. And we're going to give you a badass performance. As far as lyrics go, I will have spaces where I need a vocal. And then I'll search through some of my one-liners and go, oh, rhythmically, that fits. So I'll plug that in and start building around that. When you're in a band, communication is key. If you have a problem, talk about it with a level head. A mantra for us is whatever's best for the project. That helps to quell the ego. In the early days, there was so much just There's been times when it's been fractured and it looks like we were on the verge of breaking up. 30 years ago, we'd come off stage and we'd go, you fucked that up and you fucked that up. Nowadays, we'd go, ha, 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 that was really funny. That was a crazy variation. At the end of the day, it's a fucking rock and roll song. When you're in a band, the commitment is to music, but after a while, you realize it's a real commitment to each other. That's what being a band is all about, coming together to create great things. If there's anything in what we're about to share that in any way inspires you, influences you, makes you want to jump into any creative endeavor, particularly music, then we've done our job. I'm James Hetfield. I'm Robert Trujillo. I'm Kirk Hammett. I'm Lars Ulrich. We are Metallica, and this is Masterclass. Welcome to the Up Your Podcast. I'm Ethan Luck. And I'm Clint Wells. This is episode 258, and we're going to be uh, discussing a couple of these uh, Masterclass episodes. Well, we figured I've talked enough shit about them. I may as well actually uh, put my money where my mouth is and investigate. I mean, we, it's, it's, it's our duty. I mean, there's nothing worse than someone, you know, pontificating about something they don't know anything about. I hate it's that true. almost more than anything. So, right. Now, I have an idea about what it is because I've seen some of these Masterclasses. And, uh, yeah. You know, uh, they're rolling out the Black Album machine this year. I don't think they just decided they wanted to teach everybody how to be a Metallica. It's a machine. So yes. I'm going in a little skeptical, but uh, we've got it right here before us. I'm hoping to be surprised, as, I said, as I've said before. We're out here in Ashland, Oregon. Ashland, Oregon. Yeah, we have a day off tonight and tomorrow. Very witchy, foggy town. It's kind of uh, a good setup for maybe, I don't know, the, at least the album cover artwork for the next Lunar Satan album. Yeah, maybe he like... descends from space to Ashland, Oregon. Or maybe he's been here all along. Maybe this is where Satan was born. Maybe we're in space right now. Well, we're definitely in space well, we, right I mean, now. If, you know, the, the galaxy, <laughs> yes, of course. We're all in space. Well, we have a day off. I'm excited because um, I'm going to see my wife tomorrow. You're going to see your wife in a couple of days. A couple of days, yeah. 
And uh, the the bus is rolling. We're having fun. We're having a good time, man. The show's been going great. Lucero, a uh, kick-ass band. Been in really tight with those dudes. And uh, it's it, it's been a good uh, summer camp kind of vibe on this thing. When he says he's been in tight with them, he is talking about sex. For anyone curious. We, oh, yeah. I'm not going to lie We to don't you. like to... Look, we don't, we don't use euphemisms here. We I'm just tell gonna, it like it is. I'm not going to bullshit you. A couple things going on before we get into this masterclass. So we we don't really quite know yet. We're going to let this burn down as it as it goes, but I think we're going to be splitting this into two parts. Yes. So we're going to watch the first little handful of them, and uh, we're not going to be including any of the audio of the masterclass because you're going to have to pony up those 180 bones yourself. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> if you want them, but we will be sort of uh, you know giving a summation of them. The chapters seem to be around 10 minutes long each. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're probably going to split it into two parts. Firstly, though, let's do the housekeeping. Uh, the Vinyl Club 2022 is happening, so don't sleep on that. A lot of people last right. time were like, oh, I'm so bummed I didn't do that. You can do it now. Go to Metallica.com. Uh, it's 70 bucks. Yeah, and you have to wait, I think, to the end of the year to sign up, right? I, I don't so, know so, what the cutoff is. but I know there's a lot of time. There's plenty of time, so no excuses, everybody. Um, a few things are different. You're getting 12 inches now instead of 7 inches, which is fun. Yeah. And I had a blast with the Vinyl Club. You know, we collectively have them all. Right. I thought it was super fun. Obviously, we're big vinyl nerds. And uh, I think 70 bucks is actually pretty reasonable. Yeah. I know shipping like to Europe and stuff is pretty wild. It's pretty wild. I've seen a few people on our Discord talking about it where... Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We're like overseas. Obviously, from here, it's just crazy. Like, stupid prices, of course. But obviously, Metallica has zero control over that. They're trying to put out some good quality shit. So if you want to do it, go for it. And you got time. Yeah. Uh, there's this mysterious black box. What's in the box? Which is basically, it's basically like a trailer. Yeah, it's like called a the black box, like kind a of shipping vibe. container. Yeah. And it's supposedly going to be somewhere on November 16th at 10 a.m. Now, we happen to know where it's going to be, but uh, we cannot divulge that information. Right. It's Nor gonna, can we really apply the information. It's going to be here in Ashland, Oregon. <laughs> on a foggy night, just like tonight. Dude, I'm telling you, the spooky vibe here is like i felt like i was home it's kind of cool i mean I, I went out to dinner with a couple of folks from our band and uh, we were as we were walking back it was it gotten foggier from the time we went to the restaurant and came out and you know it's getting later at night less people on the street moonlit mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's some definitely creepy vibes man but i dig it we'll see what's in the box you know we don't know what's in it i'm guessing something black album related i mean it's called the black box i mean call me call me crazy but maybe I think, it's reload related. i think they're promoting the black album this year They've played three shows since we've last hung out on the podcast. November 3rd, uh, I'm sorry, the 4th at the Hard Rock Life in Hollywood, Florida. The 6th at ATL Live in Atlanta. November 12th at Daytona Beach, in which they didn't play any Black Album songs. Well, I mean, m- maybe that's the show number two. I mean, show number two? Well, that tomorrow night. Oh, right. Well, that's but, exactly what they're doing. But uh, yeah, but as this is airing, it's already happened, so no spoilers. All right, we're on all the socials. You know what they are. You can hang out with us and keep up with us and. All sorts of Metallica shenanigans, and of course, where we're at on tour, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we have a Patreon, and I want to say thank you to Bob Bangers and Mosh and Julio Lazarte. Love it. For becoming new patrons, supporting the show for the price of a cup of coffee or a beer. You can support Metal Up Your Podcast. goes a long way. We really appreciate it. We and do. you get a whole bunch of shit over there. Lots of stuff. Uh, easiest way to get a hold of us is the email corner. It's show at gmail.com. We're going to dip in now and check in on the Metal Up Your Podcast family. Let's do it. All right, our first email is from Matt French. He says, hi, guys. Hope all is well stateside. 
Just wanted to share this with you both as I still hold you responsible for getting me to pick up a guitar again after 15 years. Last week I realized a childhood dream and released my first LP. Uh, not bad, not bad. less than three years after restarting playing music at all, I reckon. Anyways, here's a link for my album on Spotify, also available on, on all good streaming platforms. Thanks, my dudes. You literally changed my life. Well, that's what we do. And then some heroes come yeah. along. We come here to change lives. We've been doing it for almost five years now. Well, that's Matt, what we do. Congrats, dude. It is... Uh, it's exciting. It, it's no joke to make a thing and put it out in the world. I listened to it today on the bus. It's very cool. It's very, like kind of gothic industrial metal stuff uh it's called storyteller is that what you were listening to before we came up to the yeah. hotel room it sounded cool yeah it's pretty cool so matt french is the artist check it out and uh meanwhile we'll be over here just continuing to inspire lives and change life uh, look he says we changed his life i mean it's it, am i supposed to argue with that so let it be written dude it's there uh all joking aside matt thank you like the fact that we could have some small part in that is really cool that's really uh, cool thank you for sharing that with us jared mason writes hey clinton ethan just listened to the latest blacklist episode loved it per huge and at the end you were talking about lips of an angel and who wrote that song he says short funny story that band was hinder when i was in my young when i was in my early 20s my girlfriend broke up with me all the time and during one of those weekend breaks hinder came to town I heard from a mutual friend that she got on their tour bus for some mouth hugs. <laughs> After that, all of my wonderful friends would remind me who that song was written for, or not really, when it came on the radio. Needless to say, she wasn't the one. Keep up the good work. Loving the show as always, and my wife and I are looking forward to meeting you in San Francisco next month. Peace, Jared Mason. Well, well that's cool. You know, finding your soulmate is a nebulous, arduous task that some spend their whole lives trying to do. Yes. Here's one thing you can kick off that list, though. The chick who makes out with Hinder on their tour bus. Yeah, I would maybe avoid that person. Well, I just think it's safe to say that that might not be your soulmate. Maybe not your soulmate, man. She might know. be on a different kind of ride, you know? She likes, she likes lip-hugging with Hinder. Yeah, if, you're, if your girl hasn't decided that uh, she, her, her days of making out with the lips of an angel, one-hit wonders Hinder on their tour bus, if those right. days aren't behind her, she's not ready for you, dude. She yeah. wasn't ready for you, Jared. Exactly. Period. Period, dude. You made the right choice. Move on, bro. All right, thank you, dude. Uh, next email is from Brian Knox. He says, Clint, I have a quick question for you. Uh, when you dude started the podcast, you said multiple times that you didn't really enjoy, enjoy sports of any kind. You didn't hate them, but it just wasn't your thing. But on the new episodes, you seem to be a big basketball fan and also a hockey fan now. What inspired the change? Well, a lot of things inspire the change. I mean, the simplest way to put it is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Yeah. And a little documentary called The Last Dance. But of course, that's not really it um you know people change and people evolve and people discover new things to be excited about and i needed something to believe in and hope for during the pandemic and that you know it was the story of michael jordan right and him being you know a champion and him overcoming odds to be the best and i just loved it you know i love the story i mean that documentary i mean it was great i watched it as well but that was almost kind of like the Maybe the little light bulb for you to like, oh, I should I should dip into this. Well, it was just happening in the summer and the NBA was on. And yeah. it was like a really weird year because it was the bubble year. The NBA was the only sports team that went through their entire season without anyone getting COVID. Right. Because they all committed to live in a bubble. Yeah. It's crazy. So, you know, if you're just... T and of course, I watched it all when I was a kid. I was a kid right. watching Michael Jordan. I was a kid of the 90s. So it's, it's not like... like, like just it's not like heard a, of him. Exactly. And he played baseball in my hometown and shit, you yeah. know? So... And I was a big Bo Jackson. I was, you know, I played baseball. So it's not like it's that crazy. Oh, Bo knows. Um, but I probably did have an air about me five years ago that was like, oh, I'm a musician type. I don't 
right. dabble in sports as much. I don't think I was ever shitty about it, to, to Brian's point. But, uh, you know, it is weird because I do feel like I've spent the last couple of years like justifying my love for basketball. There's something to justify, it's man. It's kind of gotten old. I, I'm honestly, not saying Brian's doing that, but like no, no, no. people in my family and stuff, it's like, because I also have this aspect of my personality where I, when I fall in love with something, I fucking go deep. I yeah, go oh hard yeah. you in, do. The, in the paint. And I appreciate that. Well, I don't know what else to do. It's just how, what I've always done. Sure. And I don't casually love shit. I right. love it hard. And so that definitely happened with MJ. And then, you know, we've been watching games out here on the road. I just love the fucking NBA. Yeah. I love the sport. Totally. It's a fun sport. Well, listen, man, I love you hard. Okay. <laughs> I want the world to know right now how hard I love Clint Wells. Well, I appreciate that. I'm not really a big hockey fan, only when the Preds are winning. Well, you just went to your first Preds game recently, too. I went to our first game, and it was just fun as shit. It's like, so fun. And, like, I really cared about the game, but yeah. I don't, like, follow them or other... Like, basketball's the only sport where I follow every team, almost. Yeah, you follow a lot. But hockey, it's like, if I hear from maybe you that the Preds are doing good, right. I'm in. The Titans are kicking ass this year. Right. And we actually... My wife and I actually have been the last two years like really paying attention to the titans yeah. but not really the nfl you yeah. see what i'm saying i'm not a, i'm not a football fan at all but like when the like, like you with the, with the uh, like the preds the titans are doing well it's like i might dip, dip in a little bit but and i'm not doing in great general, this season not a football guy well it's super fun and like any of you out there that are we were just talking, we were talking about this with your friend jacob last night yeah jacob came out to our show in seattle and he plays with brandy carlisle yep, yep. And he was talking about getting into, well, he was talking about sports too. And he was like, you know, I was a, I had the punk rock attitude of sports are lame. Right, yeah. And it's like, man, fuck all that. Fuck that. Fuck that. Yeah, totally. If Billy Eilish is your thing, love it. It's Great. fucking. You know what's almost kind of annoying sometimes is when other like band people we know are like, yeah, I don't really watch sports ball. I, c- I couldn't find that more boring. It's kind of it's gotten real old. I couldn't find it more boring. And Are I, you I watching sports ball? Yeah, where it's like you get it. You don't know enough to even know what it's called. Right. Okay. What do you? Is it a touchdown when they hit, get the ball through the net? Is that a hat trick when uh, he swings and misses? Or like I get it. You're you're you have a void in your life where the NBA could easily slide into and make you happy, but you're choosing to be an asshole instead. No problem. It might happen to him. It might. Yeah. Who knows? Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate that. And I appreciate everyone hanging in there with me with my, uh, <laughs> not only basketball, but also the Dave Matthews Band and all my other little shenanigans. Oh, Dave uh, Matthews Band? I do a little bit. Just discovered him a couple weeks ago. Shoot, I got crash on cassette yesterday. Nicholas Peterson writes, yes, you did, by the way. I did, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty exciting. Pretty stoked. Ten bucks, huh? Ten bucks, yeah. You're going to pay that for those albums. For those 90s albums that they didn't make a lot of cassettes for, you're going to pay 10 yeah, 15 bucks. I was fine to do it because I knew that you and Parker would be real stoked too. Yeah. And, and I'm excited to listen to it. I know I know the record, but... Yeah. Good you did call it number 42 last night. 43. 41, and, bro. And 41 is the, the one big one on that album. So I think I my think response you need, was 42, 43, whatever it takes. I think you need to familiarize yourself with the track list. I need to check myself. Because that's actually a really great song. Yeah. All right. This is next one. is from Nicholas Peterson. So it's greetings, esteemed colleagues. Uh, are we co- we work together, supposedly? We are colleagues, yes. I've been consuming Metal Beer Podcast episodes in an alternating fashion from 2017 to current and back, and some in between, and I'm elated to report that I'm more engaged than ever in your podcast. I commend you both for all you've done for the sake of the Metallica family, and for music in general. As a fan of both Metallica and music in general, I want to thank you guys for all you've done. That's really nice, dude. It's cool. He says, I was struck by the recent episode regarding masterclasses. Clint, thank you for sharing your true feelings about masterclasses. I could not help but note a bit of irony, however, 
your quote-unquote anti-masterclass sentiments on the podcast morphed into a masterclass of its own, and it was awesome. I really related to your advice to get out there and to quote-unquote do it. At the end of the day, nothing compares to the experience of getting out there and doing it. Not sure you intended it, but you delivered a first-class masterclass. Damn, dude. I'm sorry. Is, uh, my eyes are kind of bad. Is that Professor Wells over there? Well, you can send your 180 bucks to... Uh, the whatever fucking hotel we're in in uh, Ashland. Just kidding. He says, a huge thank you to you both. Can't express enough how much I appreciate your dedication and efforts to keep up the podcast content. Nick Peterson, P.S. I tried in earnest this week to listen to St. Anger again without skipping any tracks. Mission not accomplished. Oh. The snare issue, he says, was it that Lars disengaged, disconnected, or otherwise the metal snares on the bottom of the snare drum? Or was it the production that gave the snare drum sound the sound of an old coffee can? Big fat thank you guys. It's basically the you snare. You want to explain the drum The sitch. snares are basically turned off. I mean, there's moments where you can kind of hear that they're there, but probably just very much loosened. The throw switch on the side where you turn them on and off, there is an adjustment where they can they can rattle or sizzle a little bit more. So, But uh, upon further inspection, uh, it appears that Lars has turned them off. I mean, the story is that he they were accidentally turned off, and he liked the sound so much that you know he wanted to go in a new direction. I think they really thought they might have been you know, reinventing something, and it was just kind of a, a you know, well, to use a, a, a basketball analogy, it was an air ball. It was an air ball, for sure. So, and it's not just the snare. I mean, not a lot of things about that album sound good. Yeah. It's a very harsh-sounding, brash album with very little vocal treatment, and, you know, it's just pummeling. Even the guitars don't sound great at certain parts. The guitars parts, don't so. really sound that great, and the songs are very repetitive and long. There are no guitar solos. It's at times quite a dynamic album, but it's mostly a very harsh, brash yeah. listen. Yeah, it is. And with the hindsight of time, you know, the narrative now is that, well, well that was intentional for we were angry. Right. The, the patron saint of anger. And, you know, what are they supposed to say? They, 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 you know, they need to be the heroes of their own story. Yeah, for sure. Charles Bukowski used to say that. He, uh, he had a journalist come follow him. He was doing like a speaking tour, or, like reading his poetry or whatever. Mm -hmm. He was like a big time drinker and, you know, right. uh, just a character. Well, we went to the Bukowski bar. We went to Bukowski Bar in yeah. Boston. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't really have any significance in Boston. He's an L.A. man, but, uh, but it's, it's cool. cool that it was there. It was awesome. And they didn't serve liquor. It was beer only. Beer only. Yeah. Uh, let's rethink that, was guys. He at Bukowski. Only, was he an only only a beer guy? He drank anything. He, dr he loved beer. He loved wine. Yeah. But he was a fucking hard liquor drinker. Okay. His old drink was a seven and seven. Love a good seven and seven. Well, anyway, he had this journalist come follow him along so he could write a story about him. And I guess on the plane, he got drunk and was, like, hitting on the flight. He was a mess, dude. Right. Kind of, kind of a, a, a ladies, you know, into ladies and all that shit. Well, the, uh, the journalist wrote about that and kind of wrote him as a slob. Well, Bukowski wrote his own account of it where he's the big, you know, he was suave and right. everyone loved him. And the journalist was like, hey, man, I saw what you wrote about that trip. He's like, you're full of shit. That's not what happened. And Bukowski goes, I'm the hero of my story, baby. Write whatever you want. But if I'm writing it, I'm the hero. Uh, wow. I mean... I try to live my life by that. He's not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. It's kind of like how Woody Allen always like wrote himself as like the guy who got the girl. Right. Uh, probably wasn't happening much in real life. No, so, probably not. You know, kind of nerdy, funny guy. Yeah. Outcast guy. Right. Well, if you're going to write a story, put yourself in it. Why yeah. not get the girl and be playing a fucking guitar, yeah, Les Paul, yeah. shirtless on the top of a mountain afterwards? In front of a church. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm going to do that later today, actually. Um, all right. Thank all right, you, Nick. A couple more here. Next email is from Matt Kerr. 
another one directed at you. Hi, Clint. Master classes are, pe- are for people who think they can learn how to put lightning in a bottle. If I were Metallica, I would be more hap- uh, more than happy to separate those folks from their $180. Short and sweet from Matt. Well, pretty brutal, too. Pretty scathing indictment. Well, Matt, <clears throat> obviously, we're coming from the same place there, but we will see. I'm excited to see what happens. I mean... Um, I'm prepared to be surprised, dude. Too. We might have to have a little writing sesh after we watch this. Maybe we can write a little inner Sandman part two. Who knows, man? Our last email is from Fonzie Brookstone. What up, Fonz? The Fonz. On last week's episode, you mentioned how James and Lars probably have a quote unquote handshake approach for songwriting credits. I suppose it's easier to just say writing credit as opposed to arranger credit for Lars. Can you clarify how one would justify a writing credit? Obviously, the main riffs and lyrics are no, are a no brainer. Does one smaller riff count or a few words? Who decides what's enough for credit? Can you also explain how this may add tension to the internals of a band relationship? Thank you. Well, as I said, it's a, it's whatever they agree upon. Yeah, it's whatever they agree upon. As far as like who wrote what and all that stuff, I mean, unless you decide just to do it all equally, which some bands do that. Uh, but if you don't. I mean, it gets dissected. It's like... But, this is, but we've already kind of covered that. This is unique. He, what he's honing in on is this. Lars is not writing any music. Right. Now, he is arranging the riffs. And I am not here to poo-poo his contributions right. to my favorite songs. Sure. But what does it mean that he has a co-write on Hit the Lights, which is a song written before they knew each other? Yeah. What does it mean it's strange. that James only has a write on Motor Breath? Yeah. What does it mean? What does it fucking mean? Did he what did, not you, do you, any Are you telling me that... All James had for Mama Said were some cut-up sections of chords, and Lars... Like, James wrote Mama Said. Right, yeah. And yet, it says written by Hetfield and Ulrich. Ulrich right. That is a, a fucking handshake deal. It's period. a handshake deal, yeah. It has to be. Now... I think in a normal world, like, if... if, if uh, no, in a world... In a world where two guys write Mama Said... Uh, that wouldn't really be a thing. Like, I don't know of any arrangers that just they come in and say, "Put this here and put that there," and there's your hit. You know. But like I said, it's it's just you can come up with whatever you want. I've been in many situations where I was writing with a big artist, and they have a co-write on the song we all wrote together. Right. Let me tell you what they contributed: zero percent. Yeah. They sat in the fucking room and played on their laptop. They were just there. Now I've had other I've had other people man it's just it really can be anything I've had other people check this out this just happened to a friend of, I won't say who it is but I'll tell you afterwards right she wrote a song with like a producer writer like me so they're writing together she's maybe writing the top line which means melody or the lyric he's building a track but also playing all the instruments and also probably contributing lyrics and melodies they took that little song he went away yeah that guy took that track to another right and wrote some different song to that track. To the same track. To the same track. Maybe tweaked it a little. This artist friend of ours heard it on Spotify. It was like on some big playlist. And had, had she released it? No. It, it was dead in the water for her. Right. But she was a co-writer on it. That's crazy. So she basically had to... I mean, you guys wouldn't believe the hoops that I've had to even jump through to just... You know, like I don't have I don't have like big ass Nashville entertainment lawyer representation. Right, yeah. You know, it's like and so she had to basically go fight to get credit for that. That's crazy, man. Um and you know, there's all sorts of arguments about it. He could have been like, Well, I wrote the I built the track. Yeah. And you didn't really contribute anything musically. You just wrote the lyric and we didn't use your lyric. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like and maybe they did this whole Hetfield Ulrich thing to avoid all this crap. But I don't know why they didn't include everybody. 
I get that Lars arranges some of the hooks. Yeah. But the thing about the thing that brought this up on the Blacklist episode was this. When you're hearing some of those bands reinterpret those songs, you're not hearing all those riffs. Right. You're not hearing a bunch of arranged riff tapes. You're hearing the melody mm-hmm. and the lyrics. Right. And Lars didn't write those. Yeah, James. Except for maybe on St. Anger, I know the band wrote a lot of lyrics. Uh, right, together. yeah, yeah. There's that. Let's Even Phil Tal tried to write some fucking lyrics. <sighs> but think about this, dude. Because we're talking about handshake deals. Robert Trujillo has a writing credit on every song on Death Magnetic. Yeah. Why? In my opinion, it's because it was a symbol. It was a post-Jason symbol. It was like, hey, just show everybody, like, hey, look, like... Hey, we're going to give you some of that jangle in your pocket, because that was no small thing to get publishing on 12 Metallica songs right. in 2008. We're going to give you a little green. We're going to basically have a spiritual, symbolic, about-face 180 from how we treated Jason. Yeah. Three writing credits in 14 years, even though he was a super prolific writer. And you look at Hardwired, Robert Trujillo has one credit. One, yeah. You know what song it is? Uh, that's on, uh, isn't it? Uh, ah, fuck. AMS Savage, right? No, it's, it's, like, on, it's the intro. Uh, it's on Man Unkind. Man Unkind. And it's just because he wrote some little intro that I don't like. She didn't think that that cool, honestly. It's, it's fine. So they threw him a bone. Yeah. But, what, but if you watch those Death Ma- or Hardwired videos, he seems to be about as involved as he is in the Death Magnetic sessions. Yeah, so what's the difference? I yeah, don't, what I is don't the know. difference? I don't know. Well, it's arbitrary, and it's a handshake right. deal. That's all. So I, th- yeah. I think someone wrote in. They were like grumpy about me, like like I'm casting aspersions on Lars's contributions. There's, n- I mean, go listen to the podcast. I've I've praised him. Oh, we've gushed for five him. years. Yeah, like I, there's no Metallica without Lars. No. no, Metallica as we know it. But I'll say this is the last word on the songwriting thing. If you don't have a Lars Ulrich, you still have some of these songs. Yes. Now yeah. I don't know what band James is in. I don't know how good they are. I don't know if you ever hear of them again. But you're still going to have these songs without Lars. Yeah. You're not going to have anything close to these songs without James Hetfield. No. That, right? Oh, yeah, that? of course. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I mean, there, there might be, you know, there might be stuff that we don't even see that Lars kind of helps contribute to, but if it's just the arranging or doing this or maybe, I mean, I can see him like altering riffs a little bit. Hey, instead of going dun, 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 or whatever, do it like this. And maybe but I'm telling you, I do that in writes all the time. In writes all the time, I will, I'll say, hey, let's cut that bridge in half. Right. Let's, uh, anything. Hey, let's, there's a million things you can yeah, do to double a song. that chorus or whatever, but yeah. that's not necessarily writing something. That's just, I mean, there aren't really any rules about it, but I do think if I asked for writing credit for some of that, it would get stinky. It'd yeah. be like, really, you want writing you credit for to... suggesting that the bridge go here? Yeah, right. So yeah, all that to say, it's a handshake deal, and the the nuances of it we don't know. It's and just, you know, you know me, man. I'm not trying to defend Dave Mustaine or anything, but that's Dave's problem. You know, Dave's looking at jumping the fire and going, "Why is Lars getting a credit on that?" Because Dave actually knows what's up. Yeah, Dave knows that he's the one who sat down. Him and James allegedly he's a part of that song or whatever. Right, right. He has a credit on that. He knows that he's the one that came up with that little spider riff. Yeah, he's the one going, "Come on, jump in the fire." Yeah, totally. Lars is playing drums. It's playing drums. I mean. So anyway, it is crazy. It is. It does seem crazy. Can, he says, "Can you explain how this may add tension to the internals of a band relationship?" I think. I, mean, I think we already did that. Like when you, because once you start getting into writing and publishing, you start talking money. Yeah, for sure. And money will fuck up a, a sitch. Absolutely, it'll, it'll end bands and friendships, all that stuff, just over money for sure. Someone wrote in. Oh, it's a different email, but they were talking about Natalie Maines of the Dixie Chicks, and she was talking about this very thing. And she's like, she was talking to some band that splits everything. And she's like, what about the person who wrote all the, the hits? And they're like, well, we just, everyone gets it. Everyone gets everything. The bass player of Coldplay gets the money from, fix I'll try to and, fix you. Yeah. 
And she was like, I'd be fucking pissed. Yeah. If you got enough if you got enough green to go around and everyone can just be rich, that's one thing. But if you know we used this analogy last time. If you if me and you were in a band called called Booner Baton and we got that Apple money, but you were the public you know, you were the writer. Right. You're rolling up to my house in a fucking Mercedes and I'm still driving a, a nineteen eighty six Chevy Nova. Right. Yeah. That's gonna cause some tension creatively for us. Yeah. It's weird. It's it's like there's no uh perfect answer for that for like you know if you were going to give a band advice like hey do we split it evenly or do we do we split it fairly on who wrote what and figure out those percentages because it's like either way there's most likely going to be some kind of tension in that you know what i would honestly tell a young band that was like maybe popping off i would say listen it, it doesn't make any sense to me for everyone to get the same credit if they're not writing these songs right but and i would i would talk to the primary songwriter and i would say but we have you as a band or we as a team if i'm a manager or something we have to find a way to make sure it's like well it's like you have to decide do you want to have a just a, do you want do you want to be like ghost where it's basically you're the brainchild and whoever can wear a mask and play in your band right. or do you want to be a band oh let's say we want to be a band we want to we want to stick together forever yeah okay well we have to find a way to generate revenue for your band that makes sense yeah we don't have to give them all your publishing you're the one writing the fucking songs. Sure. But we, you know, maybe cut them in on more on merch. What are we paying them per show? Yeah. How do we, how do we keep uh, something going in this mm-hmm. that's generous yeah. and incentivizes everyone to stay together and not want to cut each other's throats at night? Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I've been in situations where like there's one primary songwriter, even though everyone else in the band could write songs. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's been like, you know, hey, why don't you guys write some stuff? And then we do and it gets ignored like mm-hmm. instantly where it's like, it's more of a power play. Yeah. And that sucks too. Yeah, and that causes tension too. So it's like, well, that's kind of really the story of Jason's tension with Metallica. Yeah, was they weren't using his material, and they weren't really stoked about him having side projects. Mm-hmm. So, what the fuck was he supposed to do? Yeah, for sure. It's so. not surprising he left the band. I mean, it's insane. Like, the, the, it, it, at the time, seemed like a, the, the, the biggest question in the world. Like, why in the fuck would he leave the biggest band on earth? But the more you dive into it, the more it makes perfect sense. Especially when you're when you got all the money, yeah, you're a bunch fine. of money. You're like fuck this. Yeah, you're fine financially. You're good. Well, let's. Uh, I hope that answered all the questions. And yeah, thank yeah. you, everyone, as usual. Metal Beer Podcast Show at Gmail dot com. You can write in, and we'll talk about uh, whatever you want us to talk about. Really, anything, please. Uh, and uh, we do appreciate you guys who take the time to write in. Just don't talk about sports ball. Oh, uh, is that a touch pass? Oh my god, is that a home down? <laughs> All right, well, let's get out of here, and uh, we're gonna, you're going to hear a commercial for Patreon. You can support us at that level. Fucking awesome. If not, no big deal. We're just glad you're here listening, and then we're going to dip into some master class. Let's All right. do it. Hey, everyone. Clinton Ethan here, and we want to tell you about a little thing called Patreon. Patreon is an easy and interactive way to support the people who make the things that you love. For as little as five bucks a month, you can ensure that Metal Up Your Podcast can continue to grow in quality and content. That's equivalent to a cup of coffee or a beer once a month. Not only is it easy and affordable, but we've made it a priority since day one to give back to our Patreon community. We've given away deluxe box sets, rare vinyl, black and whiskey, concert tickets to SM2 and Slang Castle, all four of our Cover Our World Black and EPs. 26 quarantine covers and Lunar Satan demos. Invitations to exclusive Zoom happy hours. The ability to ask our guests like Jay Weinberg of Slipknot, Lizzie Hale, and members of the Metallica crew your very own questions. And eligibility for our Metal Tales series where you can be a guest on Metal Up Your Podcast 
and tell us all about a notable Metallica show you've been to. Subscribe to Patreon today and immediately get access to years worth of bonus content. Thank you for supporting the people who make the things that you love. Peace. Adios. I can't talk about it anymore. It's giving me a headache. Here, take two of these. Ah, new print. Little, yellow, different. Okay, here we are. So we're going to, each of these are like, there's, it's split up into chapters. We have 15 chapters, and then there's some live performances of some songs. Right. So I'm going to read the little blurb for each chapter. Chapter one is entitled, Meet Your Instructor." Okay, okay. Explore what it takes to thrive creatively and professionally as a band with rock pioneers Metallica. Your instructors, James Hetfield, Lars Ulrich, Kirk Hammett, and Robert Trujillo, share what it takes to be a band that lasts. Wow. All right, we'll be back and let you know what we think. All right. Master! Master! All right, well, there we go. There's part one. Well... What what are your thoughts? Even? I mean, that's that's essentially just like an intro. You it was know, like a behind the music. It was like a, yeah, it was like an eight minute long behind the music. It kind of wrapped up you know their their whole career in into just a few minutes. But I mean, so far you know it's listen, it, it's edited very well. It looks awesome. It's shot well. Uh, I'm always excited to see the boys. So I'm hopeful this is going to be cool. I'm I'm staying on that side of things. Well, I'm I'm <laughs> hoping it gets better. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that intro was a little cheesy. When you when you think about you know, when I think about all the money I've given them, you know, I mean, how much money do you think you've given them? I have no idea. No idea. Lots. And happily, you know, they deserve sure, it. Of I, course. But uh, I, I have that ringing in my head for some reason. This is, it's a fleecing almost. I'm yeah. sensing. I'm sensing. I'm my my bullshit detector is, yeah. which is which is you know got me far in life. It's sure. uh, it goes off a little bit when I'm seeing this. Right. Um, a few things stuck out to me actually that were very interesting. First of all, it's just not dawning on me. Lars like wears a uniform now. He wears that same oh, like green jacket. Yeah. No, for any for anything. Black shirt, green jacket, those jeans, hat, yeah. toothpick. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's totally his, his suit. The other thing that dawned on me is to, to dovetail this into the last bit of the emails about if James is really going to be the creative powerhouse and basically write the songs. And I was saying the advice I would give to the band is like, how do you find a way to bring these people in so that their value is rewarded? Right, right. That is probably what the handshake deal is. Lars, they called him like the engine, the energy engine of the band, which yeah. I fully agree with. Agreed, yes. Um, I don't think there is any Metallica as we know it and as we love it without him at all. Period, yeah. So I bet that the, the arranging songwriting thing was like, how do, I, how do I basically keep this guy as my partner? Yeah, because sure. I Because I need him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's, that's probably true because if it wasn't that way, if it was more of an accurate split on things... Lars would have no credit on stuff. No. You know? Most drummers don't get credit even if they're helping arrange. Right. Unless you're fucking Neil Peart. Well, Neil Peart wrote, wrote all the lyrics. Exactly. But this is not the case here, of course. So it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, you're right. It's James needed him around, and this was probably the way to do it. That's a good That's a good assumption for sure. Well, and it's just, I mean, honestly, like, I don't know if they're, maybe they're going to talk about the master class, but that that's real shit about, like, okay, how do you really make this work? Yeah. That's real shit. For sure. We'll see if they get there. So far, puff piece. Honestly, I'm being honest. Yeah. But it was just the intro. Number two is called From Riff to Song. Learn to create music as a band with insights into how a Metallica song is built from collecting guitar riffs and writing intros 
to using the jam to generate ideas and build tension in your songs. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. Let's 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 check it out. We'll be back to talk about it. Ooh, yeah. It's kind of boring. I'm trying. Here's what I'm doing. You think it's boring? I'm finding it a little bit boring. Or what, or what I said to you while we were watching that, which nobody can hear, of course, is I would find it, I think, more interesting if it was just James talking about it. Cause he, only because he's the most interesting person, I think, in this setting, in what they're talking about. Uh, that's just my initial thoughts. That's my gut right away. Yeah. I'm I'm just realizing I'm I'm trying to separate who the, I'm like I was thinking when I was watching that, I was like who is this for who's it for right because I don't think it's for me yeah it's not for a 38 us. year old professional musician Metallica fan I think it's for like I was imagining like kids like a 12 year old who's starting a garage band and Metallica's their favorite band but then I remembered I was that kid and would I have wa- would I have been like oh I'll watch this now right. I guess I would have. I probably would have, for sure. But I'll, you know what I was busy doing when I was doing that? I was in the garage making music. Yeah, for sure. So th- so I'm thinking about that, and then I'm thinking about it's also for people who just kind of want to see what their process is like. Yeah. But we already kind of know because they've showed us so much. So many times. In fact, so much of the footage that they're showing in this is footage from tuning rooms. Death magnetic making of, all that stuff. Like, And I've watched all the tuning rooms. Oh, yeah. Because I'm a fucking nerd. Sure. Uh, the de- yeah, the death magnetic, the, all their HQ stuff. Right, exactly. I will say the editing's really good. Like when Kirk was breaking down the Inner Sandman stuff, they were bringing those elements forward mm. musically or like with the soundtrack of the editing which was pretty cool. No, the editing's great in this. When it, he's like, and then the toms great. come in, you hear toms, you know, and he's yeah. like, the riff was simplified. Um, it did also sound like they were almost saying two different things in that. One being, don't force it. Right. Let it come naturally. I loved when James said, Lars said, just play whatever comes next. Yeah. I'm like, hell yeah. That's, that, that actually literally inspired me watching this. Yeah. But then it ends with Lars basically saying, you you can't just wait for things to happen. You got to show up and clock in and, yeah. And like be practical about the work. So it's really, I guess kind of blending those two things together. That were, those were some of the themes of chapter two that were resonating. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm not as like, I don't know. I, I I was feeling very hopeful about this and, but maybe it'll, maybe it'll change for me. I mean, there is some cool stuff that, that they are saying and stuff like that, but I'm having to find it. But I'm looking. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Number three, deconstructing Inter Sandman. Okay. Which I kind of felt like there was half of that second one was deconstructing. I mean, Kirk talking about the whole intro. Yeah. All right. He says, delve deeper into the mechanics of songwriting with one of Metallica's most beloved songs, Inter Sandman. The band breaks down the riffs of the song to reveal how the song was made and to unlock the key to its successes. Okay, yes. Well, hell, I, I want to hear what they have to say. They well, unlock the key to its success. Let's check it. We'll be back to discuss. Give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Ooh. All right, there we go. Well, what do you think about that one? Um, a lot that I kind of already just knew. I mean, it's it's stuff that I guess maybe as a musician uh, who has, you know, we've recorded on records and toured and all that stuff, that breaking down the main riff of Inner Salmon or the intro or whatever like that, that's, to me, self-explanatory because I understand that part of music. But... Mm-hmm. I guess if you were if you were someone who's pretty young, still kind of maybe learning a riff like that or trying to understand a riff like that, then maybe that was pretty helpful, you know. Or or the advice of like you know, taking a riff and teasing that riff until you yeah. kind of have the, the final reveal. I liked all that. I thought that was cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think what I liked most about it was just like watching them talk in this way together. 
yeah. about this music. I don't you don't really see that very much. No, not much at all. Like <laughs> I was thinking like you can kind of tell they're all like they were hired to do a job and sure. they're all like trying to do it. Yeah. So they're all kind of on their best behavior. They're like being really collaborative. For sure. Which I don't think all of that's bullcrap, but, but I do feel like it, I can sense that they're like, we're here to do a job. Let's make sure we do the job well. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, they're sort of taking and running with each other's like, yeah. you know, thoughts about how it all went down. Um, I do love Kirk's passion. I mean, I, I know how much of a passionate guitar player he is and he like, you know, it's like he idolizes the guitar. And hearing him speak, he kind of goes on a little longer than the other guy sometimes. And, yeah. I, and I like that about Kirk. I like it's endearing to me. The other observation was how hard or annoying or whatever is it for Rob to talk about stuff he didn't play on? Yeah, it's tough in his position because they have, I mean, arguably their best work was done before right. he joined the band. So, well, both their best and worst work done before he joined the band. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I could see them in some episode maybe discussing something about that's on Hardwired or maybe Death Magnetic. But oh, I'm sure they will. But yeah, I mean, you're not gonna you're not gonna get through this without talking about Inner Sandman. Of course not. Yeah. I mean, I'm I've got to imagine they're gonna be talking about like puppets and one one yeah. and they'll probably talk about Sweet Amber. I'm, I'm <laughs> you know Junior Dad. They'll probably talk about how they started working with him. And speaking of that, let's move to the next one. So number four. Chapter four is called Navigating Egos and Giving Criticism. Okay. All right. Learn how to set up a communication style that's conducive to creative collaboration, which I'm not sure they learned how to do that until uh, St. Anger. Yeah, totally. Members will walk away with practical tips for giving constructive criticism and uh, managing conflict in the service of doing what's best for the project. Okay. Let's check it out. All right, let's do it. You live it or lie it. You live it or lie it. Well, Rob's time to shine in that episode. He had a good, uh, good long uh, little segment there, and I, yeah, I, I, uh, I love the talk about uh, adding to a song what it needs, what's best for the song. That whole idea, because I'm sure you've been there too when you're a young guy in a band and stuff like that, and you want your part to be in there no matter what. Well, I wrote this solo, I wrote this thing, and it's like you fight so hard for it, and. I think, you know, over the years of being in bands or doing session work, it's like, hey, this isn't about that, you know. We've we've obviously learned that a long time ago, but I, I do love that that was discussed for maybe somebody that's like a pretty young musician maybe watching this. Yeah, I mean, most of this one was about, like, ego and, you know, communicating. Right. It was interesting. It was like you're watching men in their late 50s sort of talk through what they've learned the hard way. The thing that struck me was like, would all of this like lovey-dovey shit have worked for them when they were 22 years old? I don't think so. Like, you know, they were they were pretty rough and tumble. You know, James is saying their whole deal was like, if you can't play it this fast, you're letting us down. You're letting the right. team down. It's like, well, you guys got some pretty fucking good results. I was gonna say, I think I think it, you know, it it worked perfectly for that era of the band into shoot. I mean, I think probably even into the 90s. I mean. Shit, you get Master of Puppets and Injustice for All and Ride the Lightning because of that? I don't think you start seeing a meaningful change in any anything that they did creatively until Load and Reload because Load and Reload is the first time that they split the guitars in the left and right, right and let really let Kirk play rhythm guitar. Yeah, totally. And we're encouraging Kirk to like play something a little complimentary or different. 
instead of James on left and right and and the thickener down the center, and you're in charge of hooks and solos. Right. Exactly. I think I think you start getting there's more democracy starting there. Yeah. And then I don't think you really start seeing kind of the logical conclusion of the more woo woo stuff. Uh, you don't really start seeing that till Saint Anger, till Phil. Yeah. Another thing I learned: it's Phil Toll. Phil Toll. Breaking news! No everybody. one told me that. <laughs> no one told me either. I think another thing too about this that I'm like realizing about myself because I'm like, why, why, why do I have such a visceral reaction to this? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because we've like been analyzing Metallica for five fucking years, right? Yeah. Like th- this is nothing we have not talked about. Sure. Probably for hours and hours. Yeah. Their egos, Rob being a neutralizing factor in the band, what they learned from the early days. Yeah. Even the stuff that, that Lars ended with saying, like, these are our songs, we can do whatever we want with them. Like when we've talked about when they they've cut out entire sections of Master of Puppets. Right, exactly. We've done whole probably episodes on like Yeah. You know, band can, the Kill Ride medley and all this yeah, stuff. For sure. So I'm I'm constantly having to just be like, Okay, I need to put this in the column of like, who is this for? Yeah. And you know, I think there needs to be a, a final there needs a final analysis of like, is this worth $180? And so far, it is not to me. No, I'm with you. I think if you listen to this podcast and you are more than a casual fan, I have yet to learn anything new. It's fun. Sure. It's fun to see them talking. It is for it's sure. It's fun to see them when they're playing do, do, da, do, do, the tabs up there. Right. And it's fun to hear the editing. Again, the, the video editing on this is awesome. <clears throat> the editing is really good. The lighting's great. They look good. Yeah. And it sounds like uh, when we were watching that last segment, um, I made a comment because you heard the uh, whatever I think the, the uh, hold my breath inside riff from one mm-hmm. soloed and it was kind of up for question is that from the record of them playing that and then the, the machine gun part to one came up and that sounded just like the record so it sounds like they're soloing some stuff from the actual recordings which well is- I know they were doing that with Inner Sandman yes but for then sure. I know that when they did the next episode three they were playing they were bringing in excerpts of them playing it live on this soundstage right yeah so it's kind of un- unclear, depending on whatever it is. Sure, yeah. The other thing I was thinking about, too, is like they were talking about how, like, just the compromise, you know, they were basically saying shit that you should know at our age anyway. Yeah. Like, let everyone have a voice and don't overly criticize and try to understand where someone's coming from. And yeah, for sure. Be encouraging and learning everyone's personalities because you're a family. Like, that stuff we're even doing, we've even had moments of that this week as a band. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant uh, thing you're always learning. And we're a new band, so we're kind of doing the same thing you ha- any new bands have to do. Yeah. But it did make me think about Tool. I was reading uh, I was reading an interview about them, and they sort of historically, t- they take longer than Metallica to make albums. Their oh, yeah. last album was like 2006. And one of the things that Maynard has said, in the, and and basically it's, Everyone thinks it's because of the lead singer because he's a, a jerk or whatever. Right, right. Well, he's making like tons of projects while they're not putting out tour he's always Seems he's always working on something. He's doing Pussifer Records, uh, a Perfect Circle Records. He makes he's got wine. his vineyard. He's got a restaurant. He yeah. wrote a book, and he's basically like, "Look, I'm not holding that up. These other three knuckleheads are." And he's like, "And so you know, if someone follows up, they're like, well, why does it take so long? Like, what's the problem?'" And he's like, "Well, we got really successful when yeah. we were young.'" And we're all older, hard-headed people now. And those guys have an idea of like, they kind of, he basically, he was saying this kind of in a, not in a shitty way, but he was like, they basically drink their own Kool-Aid. They, they, they got successful doing it this certain way. Right. And that's the only way they think it can work. And so it's on their time. Those three guys go write all the music. He's like, I don't start doing my part until the very end. It's crazy. And he was like, and on this last tour or record cycle, he's like, they sent me one of these tool songs, these 10 minute epics. 
He's like, I, I did my whole thing. I wrote the lyric, the melody, the vocal, recorded it all in Arizona, sent it all in, and then they made some changes to the arrangement that basically made that whole lyric moot. Right. And he was like, I'm not doing that again. So you guys make sure that this music is done. Right, sure. And he was like, that's just all, that's kind of the, the dark side of the ego shit. Yeah, and that's, and that's their method of doing things, but you know, unfortunately you don't get a tool record every couple of years. It's just so. pretty cool. It's cool that like, James can be like, well, I mean, I did write, you know, he could be like, look, I wrote Master of Puppets. Yeah. That's a pretty good song. Not bad. Uh, maybe your input can go fuck itself. <laughs> but instead, it sounds like they don't do that. You know? like, yeah, yeah, for sure. They let everyone have a voice. All right, moving right along. I'm, I'm intrigued by the next one, Chapter 5, Writing Lyrics. Oh, okay. Let's see what the little blurby blurb says. As the writer of most of Metallica's lyrics, James Hetfield has developed a unique method of letting the lyrics follow the music. Learn how to use the voice as the percussive instrument, keep track of ideas, and write lyrics inspired by life. As opposed to... Time. <laughs> All right, let's check it out. Let's do it. Battery! All right, James. Well, that was my favorite one. Yeah, same. I thought that was the most interesting... Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we've talked about it. It was all James. It's all James. That's probably why. Yeah. Nothing but James. For me. And it kind of uh, solidified what we've talked about in the past, which is James doesn't know where these songs come from. They just, you know. Well, here's what you can do. You can't teach that. Here's what you can do. Here's what he just did, actually. You can tell someone what happened. Right. You can describe what happened. Well, we have the song. I didn't think it was very good. It was about crib death. Bob challenged me to maybe take another stab at it. Yeah. I had this never, never land thing. I started thinking I was listening. I was inspired by Jethro Tull. Right. He can tell you what happened because a series sure. of events occurred that, that ended with inner Sandman. But in terms of a class, you know, they keep referring to like, now listen here, students. Yeah, they keep saying attention. students. Yeah. In terms of like, here's how we did it. He didn't know. He, he can he, just he, tell you what happened, and he, and he actually just ended that whole thing. He's like, "Songs can come from anywhere. We don't really know, you know." It's yeah. like confirmation. Um, well, because that's 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 the truth. It is the truth. I, mean, I may not have written a song like Inner Sandman, but the mechanics are the same. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a mystery. It's hard. How did you write anything you wrote? Exactly. I mean, like again, like like what he was talking about. I could explain everything about this song. Oh, it's about this, or I, I decided to do this or this, but I I don't I can't explain where it came from. It just it just did. One thing that I thought was really interesting that I both liked, but I also have a little bit of a disagreement with, is he talked about how it's really important to him as a writer, which I don't disagree with this, but like to be vague. Yeah. And the idea, you know, that explains actually a lot about why their music obviously resonates with so many different people. That's it speaks to the broadness of their success. Right. I deal with it a lot in the country world. It's a very big thing. It's like keep it vague. So that a woman could identify with it, a dude could identify with it, right. keep politics out of it. It's actually something I don't like very much about writing country music. Yeah. And I actually really disagree that the details would gum it up for people. And I, the the person I would point to, well, pretty much all my favorite music. Dude, we come from the 90s. Yeah. Think about how nebulous and strange all those lyrics are. Soundgarden oh, yeah. lyrics, Pearl Jam lyrics, Nirvana Chili lyrics. Chili Peppers, all those bands. Chili yeah. Peppers. Oh, that's a great example. Yeah. I don't think that vagueness, you know, I don't, I don't think, I'm not sure that that would be something I would want to teach a student is like be vague. Right. Unless you're trying to teach them, I don't know. But like Taylor Swift wrote this great thing I thought where she was like, you know, up in writing in Nashville all the time, 
And because she's one of the biggest stars in the world, yeah. everyone wants to write with her. Everyone wants to have a big hit with her. Sure. And she was like, you know, there's this pressure for me to like be all things to all people in my mm-hmm. lyrics. Right. And she was like, I do the opposite. She's like, I go deeper and deeper into details. And yeah. honestly, dude, if anyone out there has listened to Folklore, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah. She she gets into minute detail that I can't, you know, it, it, she was basically like, here's what happens when you go into detail as an artist, as sure. a writer. It becomes so real that your audience, they don't have to have lived, they don't have to have worn that red jacket. Yeah. But they know what a red jacket's like, and they know, and they maybe have a yellow jacket. Anyway, the whole point being, the realer you are as an artist, the more they believe you, and they'll plug in the, they'll fit in the blanks for themselves. Yeah, for sure. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Do the details don't actually turn people off? Now, if James is coming out and saying like, "I love Donald Trump and I hate pornography and yeah. I voted for this person," yeah, that would bum people out, including me. But I don't think that you have to be vague in your lyrics. That's what's so cool about Load and Reload is like, he's kind of getting in there with a little mm-hmm. more detail. Yeah, for They sure. weren't like big statements. Cannot kill the battery. I'm creeping death. Right. Off yeah. to Never Neverland. It was like, can you heal like, can you heal what father did, my dad did to me, you know? Yeah, for sure. It was like, mommy and daddy fucked me up. Differ- a huge difference from the, uh, you know, Black Album in before and Black Album in after. It's like, and I guess I, under, you know, I, I get the, the the vagueness thing of his lyrics. I still think that the songs are very personal. I think the delivery is the vague part. How do I explain this personal thing up to me, to to the rest of the world without getting so specific? Yeah, that's kind of what I gather from a lot of his, his uh, lyrics and what he explained there. Well, and there's no wrong way. I mean, every artist has their way to do it. I just, yeah. I, I just, I would encourage people who are writing to, like, one of the things he said that I really liked the top of that one is he was like, if I'm writing from the heart, it's not wrong. Yeah. I love that. So I think, I think to to even take James's own advice, you know, it's like if you're writing something and it's coming out detailed. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of my favorite songwriters of all time is Bob Dylan, who's the master of, he'll put you in a place where you can almost smell the sawdust in a circus because he's singing it so detailed like a novelist. Of course. And that's its own power. Yeah, for sure it is. You know? It really is. Mama, take these guns from me. I can't use them anymore. He's talking about putting guns in the ground. Yeah. I've never been a sheriff. Right. But when he sings Knock on Heaven's Door, it, just, it evokes a thing where you're like, who knows what that song's about? Yeah. Take this badge from me. I can't use it anymore. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. I don't know what it means. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Right. When you have that and you have Knock on Heaven's Door, which is like, you know, you're close to death or whatever, but I mean... Yeah, it's well, a brilliant song. Well, and it's like, is it sad that you're knocking on the door? Is it happy? Are you glad to be there? Are yeah. you? Is someone going to answer the door? Right. Is someone going to answer the door and say, "Come on in," or going to say, "Get out"? Sorry, go somewhere else. Like it's just, it's fun. Yeah, it opens your mind for interpretation and, and almost open some, your mind. Open your minds. Almost similar to what James is talking about too. It's like you know he gets excited when people maybe interpret his songs a different way. Like, oh, this is what this song means to me. In his mind, he's like, well, I didn't write that, but that's great, you know? He specifically mentioned someone saying a cancer song, and I wonder if he was talking about Until It Sleeps. Yeah, maybe so. Because I've always actually thought that song was about his mom dying of cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Tear me open, pour me out. There's things inside that scream and shout, yeah. you know? Hold me until it sleeps. I don't know. All right. Uh, let's do a couple more here before we wrap it up. Number six, song deconstruction. And they, oh, they're going to do Master of Puppets. Okay, all right. Metallica members break down their iconic song, Master of Puppets, and explore what makes their sound, quote-unquote, heavy. 
From chord choice to techniques like down picking, band members also discuss their influences and how they created their signature sound. Okay. This sounds like a good chapter. Yeah. Let's check it out. Be back soon, guys. Ooh! Good sauce in there. That was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's really like you're paying 180 bucks for like just like a fun documentary. Yeah, that, that's and that's the vibe I'm getting. For Isn't it kind of just like a documentary? It really is. Yeah, it's like, it's just a behind the scenes documentary about kind of how Metallica operates and their songwriting and blah, blah blah blah. But that was fun watching them break down puppets. I don't think I've ever seen them sit together and do that. You right. Know? Like that's pretty fun. I like the stuff that Rob was interjecting at the end talking about. It's really that. Um, that's actually the David Bowie riff. Right. Exactly. Puppets that he's talking. It's one of Cliff's riffs that they think he lifted from a Bowie song because Cliff liked David Bowie. He liked Bowie, yeah. Um, but he was talking about how like James uses that to to uh, as a warm up before the gig, and James said, "If I can play that, the show's going to be fine." That's cool. I liked all that stuff. So if there's ever shows that are bad, we know that he wasn't nailing that riff before the show. I guess so. I'll tell you what, dude. Mads Roberts is like one of their top three longest songs. Yeah. And you know, I'm a hell of a guitar player. I don't think I can play that song straight through perfectly. Rhythmically, I, I, I if I practiced, I could. Well, I mean, I'm, of course, if I practice, I could. Yeah. But but you mean like right now, if we just put it on you i think even if i like rehashed all the riffs could you play it for 10 minutes straight without making a mistake probably not that's wild yeah in fact kirk even says he's like you know if like 35 years later we, st- we still haven't really perfected yeah. that song it's, it's a monster tough. it's a tough song it's a monster song for sure anything insightful about that chapter for you anything poke out um i really like the the whole bit about the quiet part of puppets mm-hmm and almost like lyrically, he's talking about, uh, you know, just that it's this journey, that it's like the low point. You know what I mean? I, I, Not I, really. You remember that? Well, I don't, I, what do you mean? Is he a low point? Lyrically, he was talking about that, unless I'm mistaking it for the last chapter, but he talked about that point in, this, in Master of Puppets being like the low point of that drug use or whatever. Oh, right. But uh, there's the, no lyrics there. Right, right. Just the, okay. the mood of it. The gotcha. mood of it. Yeah. The feel of it. Right. Um, That's like the euphoric, like you put the needle in your arm. You drift the, off. The, kind of. Lars called it like the dream state. Yes, exactly. Uh, I thought that that stuff was kind of cool because, you know, I don't often or ever think about that part of the song being that. You know, even though I know the content of the lyrics and stuff like that because it's this most beautiful, you know, dreamy part. Um but I, yeah, I thought that was cool. I like how Rob kind of took control at the end, started asking them questions and stuff like that. Well, he's like, "Hey, someone's got to do something interesting here." I know. <laughs> he's like, uh, "Can I interview my own band?" Yeah, for real. I also like too, and we've talked about this a lot before. They're talking about heavy, right? I mean, they're like the heavy masters. Yeah. But when you hear them play their tone, it's not really that heavy. No, it's, it's just it's the, the combination. It's of everything the combination, together. and it's the attitude. Yeah. If you, because I swear to God, because another thing that I think would be interesting for our listeners to do at home if they did buy this, is to watch each chapter and then listen to us because they're obviously going to be more refreshed on what we're talking about. Right. But uh, when James is sitting there playing and doing his chuggies, it's not that heavy. No, it's not. It's not like this scooped mid thing. Like it, like if I were sitting at home with like an amp modeler and it was like, dude, get a Metallica tone, I would just scoop mids and make it heavy as shit. Right. Because in my mind, I'm thinking of like Sabbath True. But that's but not it's, really the it's case. really not, especially pre-Black Album, their heavy tone really wasn't that. There's a lot, I mean, there's, there's a lot of examples of that out, out in the it's musical more thrashy. world. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, one example I can think of is um, the Green Day record, Warning, which is my favorite one. And the, t- the guitar tones aren't that distorted or that overdriven. It's just the way they're stacked and the way they're played. It just makes it sound heavy and bigger. So, you know, that's something that I would like to see them talk about. Yeah. 
I'd like to see James in a Masterclass episode, and maybe he will, dial in an amp. Yeah, that'd be rad. And be like, here's how I dial in my amp. That would be cool. Wouldn't that be pretty fucking neat? Hell yeah, I'd love to see that. All right, uh, let's check out, I think we're on chapter seven? Seven, yes. Building a rock solo from the blues. Ooh. I'm guessing this one's going to feature one Mr. Kirk Hamster. I think you might be right. Learn how to write a guitar solo by drawing inspiration from simple scales and blues chords. Get inspired to start improvising on your guitars with tips and tricks from Metallica's lead guitarist, The Hamster. The Hamster. Fred, tick, 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 tock! We got The Hamster telling us how he comes up with some of his solo stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, I mean, it's not much of a secret that is most of his stuff's based off just the blues pentatonic blues scale. Blues pentatonic, right. Know, um, which is, if you're uh, even a beginner guitar player, that was one of the first things I learned besides a major scale. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, but it... You know, we got a hand to Kirk, man. I mean, for, for forty years he's been basing every lead off of that, and it's and it's obviously panned out great. We have some insanely classic Kirk Hammett lead work over the last four decades. Yeah, I mean, he's got a unique voice. I, I like that he, you know, I like his limitations. Limitations make him interesting. Yes, that's most art. That's most shit I like. Right. Um, you could put on you could name any disposable guitar hero. You could put that on. I'm going to be real blown away for a few minutes, but yeah, it's really Kirk's sense of melody. It's more interesting. It's more interesting, and I love what he writes. I love his. Yeah. I love the songs that he co-writes with them. You know, the riffs he contributes, yeah. what he brings to the table. I love his more melodic stuff in the Load Reload era. I mean, that's not going to surprise anybody. Of course, but I'm thinking yeah. about like that real slow slide on Bleeding Me. Yeah, and even the slide solo on Ain't My Bitch. I love, and you know. He's 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 our buddy. He's our pal. He's our he's our hamster. He's Kirky Poo. He's Kirky Poo. We love Kirky Poo. I'm trying to think if there's anything other takeaways from that. He said, "Record your improvisations." That was oh oh the biggest thing he said that I do think was pretty valuable is that usually the best stuff is your first few passes. First few passes, yeah. And you you tend to get further away from what was like cool about something the right. more you analyze it or chase it. Like I'll in fact I'll for. Uh, for lyric writing, what I often will do is I'll just start singing melodies kind of the way James does, na 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 na. Yeah, for sure. And then I'll just actually write lyrics that sort of fit the phonetics of my dumb, we call them dummy lyrics. Yes. And sometimes I even keep the dummy lyrics. Yeah. Because they're kind of cool. Sometimes dummy lyrics will, will spark the title of the song or the subject of the yeah. song or something. Yeah, I've had that happen. Dude, I mean, my, my song, Let It Burn, I had no idea what I was going to write about that song. Uh, didn't have a subject in, in mind, whatever. But I was doing the dummy lyrics. I was just humming along this melody, and out of nowhere, I was like, "Let it burn." I just said that, "Let yeah. it burn." I was like, "That's a cool title." Yeah. And there we go. Where'd that come from? I don't know. And it actually became the title of your whole album. Yeah. It's it's really a, or my mantra. Now. What about for you? Uh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, when you've had as many sexually transmitted diseases as you have, it's, it's all you can yeah. do is let it burn. You have to let it. Just it's let a it song go. about you know. It's like Sex on Fire. Exactly. In fact, I think until Let It Burn, Sex on Fire was the best song about uh, an STD. But I think right. you may have topped it. That's cool with me, man. If you I'll, gotta I'll pee. Let it burn. <laughs> just let it burn, dude. Maybe yeah. you can see a urologist in the morning. Maybe so. Maybe it was a urologist in uh, Berkeley, California. What about for you when you've played solos on projects? Do you have a certain... Did anything Kirk was saying resonate with you about that? Uh, what do you think about Like I was I was actually thinking about like all the kind of bitching solos on the Lunar Satan thing. And I'm like, hmm. I definitely like learned how to do that from listening to Metallica. Yeah, of course. But I don't think I overthought any of it. I it don't, needs to tell a story. It needs to be interesting. It needs yeah, to, sure. 
if it if it if it's like a moment where it needs to rip, let it fucking rip. Yeah, totally. If it needs to be lyrical and slow. Do that. I have had moments where it's the opposite of what Kirk's talking about, where like the best stuff is the first three or four takes or whatever. Mm-hmm. I've I've definitely had that, probably more so than not. But I've had other ones where I've had to like spend some time and really construct. You yeah, know, like and, he did for Unforgiven. Yeah, and and it ended up being worth it. You know. Yeah. Um. But I'm, but I'm, but I'm with him in general. I think usually, like, if you have an idea already in your head of what what you want it to sound like, and you know what you're doing on the guitar, you can usually start to kind of nail, you know, get it close. You know, the way David Gilmore composed his solos, which arguably one of the greatest solo guitar sure. players of all time. Of course, jeez. He would, uh, he would do several passes of improvs, and then he would listen back to the tape, and on on like sheets of paper with bar lines, he would put a plus, a minus, or a circle. Plus meant great. Minus meant no, circle meant okay. Yeah. And what he would do is he would literally each phrase, he would judge it. And then at the end of that, he would take all the pluses and put them together, splice the cool. tape. And then he would learn it. Yeah. So it would be an edit of his best improvisational moments. Yeah. He'd do all the all the fucking work, all the practical work, and then he would put them together on a tape and then he would learn it and then perform it. Wow. That's pretty cool. It's real cool. Yeah, I might try that next time. I might try it later uh, in the bunk, in my in I my mean, dreams, in my shoot, sleep. Yeah, because we're still kind of on, not on West Coast time, but we're on the West Coast. We're on the West Coast. So we're all real tired. Yeah, we're all very tired. Yeah, if, as you can tell in our our sexy voices. Well, all right. So we burnt half this thing down. Any any final thoughts about the first half? You know, the first two lessons or whatever. I was a little like, oh, I don't know about this. Uh, my mood definitely changed. Even as tired as I am right now, my mood definitely changed, and I felt a lot better. And I, I, I felt found myself enjoying a lot more of it. Well, I, I was one hundred percent correct about my thoughts about what it would be. Sure, and I'm only enjoying it because I'm here with you, and it's my favorite band. Well, yeah, and I think it's accurate when you said it feels like we're just watching like a documentary about Metallica. It's about exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah. And I think if you if you if you accept it for what it is, then it's a little more fun. It's fine. Yeah, we'll bring the other seven down at some point. <laughs> of course, we will. Yeah. And uh, how do we land this plane with me being grumpy? Well, the, can the, it even be landed? It can be landed. We can we can come in for landing, no problem. Listen, we love you guys. We appreciate you guys. We appreciate your support. Go to the Patreon. Check out that thing. Cup of coffee a month. That's all it is. Uh, Metal Podcast Show at Gmail dot com is the best way to get a hold of us. And uh, look. We Go to Patreon some... and we'll tell you how we make a, a successful podcast. <laughs> Listen, we, we don't have a ton of shows left on this tour, but if you're coming out to one, try to say, hey, uh, a few of you all have been to shows. It's been cool to see people. And I'm just thankful to be out here with my best friend, Clint, and uh, in, a, in a great camp of musicians. We really are having a nice time out we're here. We're having a nice time. It's just, it's, it's, we're, we're both, we're both tie tie. It's bedtime. It's bedtime. But uh, we love you. We appreciate you. and uh, We do love you, and we do appreciate you. That is 100% true. Very true. And you don't even have to buy a ticket to my master class to hear that. Because <laughs> it's free. Because love is free. Dude, a master class in love knows no price. <laughs> I'll pay you to come to my master class on love because I love you. For real. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Super easy. Chapter 3, The Love Gun. <laughs> All right. Well, we do love you guys. Take care of yourself. Take care of your families. Be smart. Be happy. Be cool. Be naked. Sure. Peace. Adios. If you were 
our advice or what would you say? Then I would say, delete that. <laughs>